0: Today's program is brought to you by Corinne, a supplier of Japanese chef knives
1: and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corinne.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
0: Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Akiko a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Curinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi wa zakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is George Weld, who is the owner of the iconic Brooklyn restaurant, Egg, that has served beautiful and sustainable food since 2005. And food there is made with produce from George's own farm in upstate New York. And American cuisine is not so visible or well-known in Japan, but George is introducing the essence of American dishes through Egg in Tokyo, which opened in 2017. And now he has a second location. So today we'll discuss Egg's unique concept, how George brought it to Japan, his experience, discoveries in Japan, and much, much more. But quickly before we start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Video Network website as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We we'll appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topic of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at needs at heritagevideonetwork.org or kikokatayama.com. And I have a an, uh, quick announcement. The 24th Sumo Stew is coming to New York on Monday, March 19th at 8 p.m. at Brooklyn Brewery in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And uh, this time also Wednesday, March 20th at 7 p.m. at Japan Society in Midtown. And as you may know, Sumo Stew is a seasonal live streaming event of Sumo matches Straight from Japan uh, through NHK, the National um, television and you can enjoy Japanese food from outstanding restaurants as you watch the matches. And tickets are available at Eventbrite, uh, eventbrite.com and search sumo to that's S U M O S T E W. Then you can find uh, both events. And for Japanese listeners, there's a $10 off discount, discount code that's japan eats one word, uh, japan eats. So hope I'll see you there. And now let's start a conversation with George Wald. Hello, George. Welcome to Japan Eats.
2: Hi, thank you very much.
0: So, um, okay, so first, uh, let's talk about your background. So where are you from and uh, what did you eat when you grew up?
2: I I grew up sort of moving around the East Coast, so mostly Virginia and South and North Carolina. Um, We moved every four or five years. And I ate kind of regular, generic, american kid food um i was a pretty picky eater so um my mother who grew up in the south tried early on to introduce us to some of the foods she'd grown up eating but i um refused to eat almost any of them (laughs) (laughs) so all the things that i that i should have grown up eating like grits and shadro and um i pushed away and ate frozen pizza and Mm. um we did agree on fried chicken um, and hamburgers but right.
0: that's interesting <laughs> we'll talk about why you're serving a egg, mm-hmm. but this sounds like complete opposite yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right so before you get to egg um i heard that you at college you majored in creative writing poetry as well as environmental studies so what made you become interested in these areas
2: well i mean my um i always wanted to be and still still hope that someday I'll grow up to be a writer, um, primarily. And that was, that my family's main interest was in language and um, writing. And, um, and at the same time, we grew up spending a lot of time outdoors. I grew up in fairly rural places. So I saw from a young age how development affected, you know, basically the places that I liked to play um, and became concerned about how the choices that we made as a culture were affecting places that i loved so it came out of a uh, the in, the they just both grew out of my sort of natural um interest as a kid mm. um i was interested in language i was interested in uh place and trying to make beautiful things out of both of them or protect them mm.
0: so um so where did you work before you opened egg after uh, those <laughs> well <laughs> at,
2: after college i started graduate school so i taught for a little while at um at Uh, as a graduate student at BU, and then again at the University of Virginia. Um, And then my wife and I moved to New York, assuming that I would carry on as an academic, but um, I got sort of sidetracked by all of the excitement here. And um, (laughs) I worked for a little bit as a, I mean, i never in food um, in New York. I worked in food when I was was younger, sort of in high school and college. But um, when I got to New York, I worked for a a friends.com, I worked... Um, at a literary magazine for a little bit, um, and really sort of stumbled into food mm. almost accidentally
0: so what was the accident <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, I mean I think, having spent a lot of time doing work that didn 't involve my hands i was I had been writing, I had been um, programming you know websites and doing design, spending a lot of time at a desk, not getting outside, not thinking um, about even my body in a way. Um I've, I, I missed some of the physical work that kitchens had entailed, and I'd always wanted to do it, I was, but I honestly, I think I had been afraid and that I was too lazy to be a cook. <laughs> um, so I um, was really just sort of plugging along, and a friend of mine who had, had been running a hot dog restaurant in Williamsburg, um, but wasn't using it in the mornings, asked me if I would be interested in opening up something there as an experiment, so... I kind of had nothing to lose and a really easy way in and I liked him and the philosophy of his restaurant Um, and I thought it would be a fun experiment for a year or two Mm. and then to my surprise succeeded.
0: Right so sounds like you 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 cooked before Mm. I mean at home.
2: Yeah I cooked I cooked in restaurants when I was in high school and in college Uh. Um, so I had a little bit of experience but they were all very they were terrible restaurants. <laughs> so I kind of got experience with the stress of it, but not the quality of it. And then I learned how to, you know, cook well at home. And so it was a, the first year or two of, of working at, at my own restaurant was a really, you know, it was like trying to marry the the sort of care of a home cook with the stress and speed of a, of a you know, short order cook. Um, and honestly, I needed the cooks that I hired who came on to sort of teach me how to be a cook uh. um, in a professional setting because I was really f- flailing when I started out. <laughs> I could, you know, it's a great way to learn to force th- sort of throw yourself into the fire and mm. I'm not sure that's the right metaphor,
0: but at any rate. Right. <laughs> well, but it's just interesting. Like you, you really liked frozen food and, you know, that mm. kind of thing when you grew up, but then egg, I think, is very homey, mm. you know, hand-oriented. Yeah dishes that you said so why did you pick uh, egg dishes i think uh,
2: uh i became really concerned about food for environmental reasons when i was in high, in high school and college i um started to understand the way that making food choices affected uh it affected the the landscape and the wa- quality of water and the quality of air um So some of it came from that. Another part of it came from realizing that, in spite of what my mother, what sort of we had bullied my mother into serving us, there was a rich and long tradition of food in her family that I had just kind of ignored because I'd been so suckered in by Chef Boyardee and um, Mm. Mrs. Paul's. So there was there was a weird moment where I was sort of really focused on. um, I was I was trying really hard to learn as much as I could about Italian food because I. I thought, wow, this is a, a culture that has a really deep and interesting um, tradition with with food and with sort of a connection between what you eat and the land. And oh, I really wish that I had grown up in a place like that. I wish I was Italian. And then at just some moment, of, a light kind of went on, and I was like, oh, Southern food offers the same kind of tradition and the same connection to place and a connection to a history. And I did grow up with that, and I could access that and you know all i had to do was sort of go back to my mother with some uh with an open mind and Mm. she you know i realized that i had there were a lot like southern food made its way into my um into my diet as a kid um and my mother had always had a had a garden um Mm. so there were little there were elements of it all around but i sort of felt like you know that thing when you Go back after being a t- terrible teenager and tell your parents how sorry you were. It felt like this is like a very elaborate version of that.
0: <laughs> mm, I'm <laughs> sure your mom was so pleased to find it. <laughs> she's
2: she's much happier with the food that I make now than I.
0: Hi. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, yeah, uh, for listeners who've never been to Egg, uh, which I'm a big fan of, so maybe you can summarize the concept of it.
2: Yeah. So I mean, there it kind of came from three places. One was my love of southern southern food. One was a love of um, breakfast and one was sort of a social mission um, and my thinking was if we could just do very simple renditions of, of breakfast food taking things that people were sort of um, used to seeing done done really poorly you know like a you know almost like diner food but done done very carefully with really good ingredients that were sustainably produced or humanely raised and um, you know, I had the experience of tasting eggs that had been cooked carefully, as opposed to eggs that were just sort of cooked really fast and carelessly. Um, and the difference between those two renditions is so enormous mm. um, that you start thinking, like, "Wow, what else would be ten times better if we were just a little bit more careful about the measurements or about the, you know, the fine motor skills we brought to this?" Mm. Um, so that was sort of the idea to pay homage to the South, to pay you know, to use sustainably raised food and to do something very simple and sort of say, like, here's, here's what this could be if we were careful about it.
1: Mm.
0: So um, you mentioned that your love for breakfast, uh, what is the essence of it?
2: Of my... my
0: yeah, like, I think that, you know, the reason I'm asking, you know, uh, egg in Japan, mm. uh, two locations, they're popular because of uh, the universal appeal of breakfast. Mm. So I just want to hear what do you think about that?
2: Well, I mean, one of the ways we think about it here is it's, you know, it's food, it's very approachable food. Um, It's comforting. It's food that is usually eaten in a kind of intimate arrangement. Um, Whereas when you go out to dinner, especially, but even lunch to some degree, there's, there's some kind of performance in the eater and, um, you know, whether you're trying to impress a date or a boss or a coworker or even your friends say, like, look at this cool restaurant I found. Or, you know, I can... You know, the whole stress about the wine list. Like, who, how are you going to order your steak? Breakfast doesn't bring any of that kind of stress to the meal. It's all about pleasure and comfort and simplicity. And I think that just makes it, you know... It's, been, it's part of the reason that breakfast has been overlooked, I think, is a serious meal for cooks. Mm-hmm. But um, it's also part of what makes it such a wonderful experience to have with other people.
0: Right. Well... Based on my experience, it's so hard to <laughs> boil an egg perfectly yeah, yeah. or scramble egg. It's very hard. Yeah, um, but it's also interesting, right? Like egg. Some people order um, sunny side mm. or over easy, or it really shows personality. Yeah. So that's another fun thing.
2: It was. It's been a fun. Th- it was always a fun thing, with, especially at the beginning, because I had sort of took the approach that we would, if we would cook any an egg any way anybody asked for it. And so people would come in and ask for eggs cooked a way I'd never heard of. I have to ask them what they meant. And one guy even brought his own egg whites in one time. Could you please cook these for me? He's like, sure, I'll try it. I'll try it.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it was Ah. pretty weird. All right, so um, the other aspect, I think, of the egg uh, is that I went to the business seminar at the culinary Professionals annual event called uh, Star Chefs Congress mm. in, I think, uh, 2012. And uh, you and Evan, uh, your executive chef mm. at Egg, uh, were the panelists and discussed the human sustainability. Mm. And, right. uh, you know, I think that's a key word. Maybe you can just elaborate on that.
2: Well, I mean, th- this, you know, the great... Um, shame of the restaurant industry over the past several decades at least has always been that the whole presentation of um you know luxury or comfort or pleasure that we offer to customers is not usually offered to the people who work behind the behind the kitchen walls um so it was important to me and to evan um, when he came on that we try to make a restaurant that treated its employees better than restaurants had tended to do. Um, so a lot of it was just cleaning up bad habits that a lot of other, that the sort of the restaurant industry had inculcated or become habituated to over years. Um, a lot of the habits that you read about in like Bourdain's first memoir of mm. you know, like rampant sort of uh, sexual aggression or drug use or something, like saying like, we don't want that here. This is a real job. We're doing something really important for people. We want to treat. Um, the people who work here as though they're doing important work because we believe it is. Um, but then we've also tried to, you know, we've tried to be ahead of the curve on, on wages and... But, I mean, so much of it really has come down to, like, trying to treat people who work with us like they're doing important work and, like, we care about them. Um, right. Because it's so... It's un, sadly been pretty rare in the restaurant business. I think mm. it's improved a lot over the past few years, but it's been a, you know... It's a dispiriting place to, to, to work when uh, when you're not treating the people you work with the same mm-hmm. kind of attention that you give to your bacon or your eggs or your...
0: Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like, people, when you use the word professionals, mm. it's like accountant, or the yeah. lawyers, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. why? Yes. This I think cooks are professionals.
2: So, I mean, the work is so hard. And I think having worked in offices where I made a decent living doing a job that a lot of times I could just sort of sit around and stare at the wall. You know? <laughs> it's like why you know, every day I go into the kitchen I I work non stop from the minute I walk in the door to the minute I leave. And it's very fulfilling and it's very exciting, but but it's really frustrating that nobody would see that as like a real job for a grown up or something like that, or a mm-hmm. real job for somebody who had other options. To so, you know, to choose that kind of work over other things. I think um didn't seem like a possibility for people for a long time.
0: Mm, yeah. I can't agree more. Yeah. Right. And especially the part, uh, looking at the wall and <laughs> mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's empty. So yeah. And I really appreciate, um, people working hard at restaurants. It's really, mm. it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to be persistent and careful. Yeah. And you have to love people you're serving for. So I really appreciate what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And uh, you opened the egg in Williamsburg, 2005. So that means it's not as cool for mm. <laughs> getting attention kind of place. So why did you pick Williamsburg?
2: Well, I was living here, and the, I had, my friend had his restaurant here. So it was it was it was largely convenience. Um, uh, it it was a neighborhood I really loved. We my wife and I had lived on the Lower East Side for a few years and had argued about or had a friendly conversation about whether or not we should move back to the <laughs> south and live in the country and at the time Williamsburg felt like a nice compromise because it was there were no tall buildings there was lots of sunlight it felt in a weird way kind of rural because there were you know, we couldn't get cell service cable or internet in our apartment it was completely dark at night it kind of felt like you know, you know it was so obviously not living back on the farm but it felt kind of like it felt really removed from work in the city mm. um that's all completely changed now of course but right
0: <laughs> <laughs> right yeah but still you can see the sky and yes. uh, there's a big park for now. yeah <laughs> so um okay so uh for listeners who've never been to egg what kind of dishes do you serve
2: well like i said a lot of it is sort of traditional southern breakfast food so um we we sell a ton of grits um which we serve with eggs or with country ham biscuits Um, we serve biscuits and gravy Uh, we have um, a very popular sort of egg in a hole style dish called the Rothko that's just like brioche with a soft cooked egg in it with cheese on top Um, pancakes of course, french toast and then we have a full lunch menu too that a lot of people don't know about but is um, actually where I spend most of my time eating when I'm
0: at work <laughs> <laughs> right okay so what kind of people come to Egg
2: mm. that's been a really amazing thing about the restaurant is seeing the range of people who come in um, and when like the first time I saw people come in I was like wow these people are they're not only strangers to me but they've clearly come from somewhere outside of the neighborhood you, mm. know, you know they've come from Manhattan or from the Bronx or you know pretty, pretty early after we opened we started seeing customers from Japan just like, it's amazing to me that people are coming here to do, to eat this. Um, so, and we still get a pretty wide range. We have a lot of locals, um, who, you know, come because it's right down the street from their apartment. We still get a lot of tourists on the weekends. Um, and they come from everywhere from Japan to Scandinavia to, um, you know, all over Europe, South America. Um, but we get a lot of sort of homesick Southerners also, which is mm. always makes me happy. Or Southerners who are in town for vacation and want to have a quick taste of home.
0: Mm, interesting, right? Because I think there are other places mm. that they offer the same kind of egg dishes, mm-hmm. but your place is different. I hope so. So, so okay. Um, so, you um, you host interesting events at Egg and I've been to one of them uh, some years ago. And it was a film viewing event. Mm. And the film is called uh, The Food Change. Yeah. Uh, that featured uh, the migrant farm workers who pick fruits and vegetables that are sold to large U.S. food wholesalers. Yeah. And it was very impressive to me. Yeah. And uh, it still, still affects my uh, feelings about, you know, farming and immigration policy. Mm-hmm. So why do you organize events like that uh, beyond just serving food?
2: Well, uh, I mean... Uh, Partly because I think we've, Evan and I both have felt like restaurants, you know, they have a kind of default uh, status or de facto status as community organ, you know, community organizations, especially if they've been around for a while, people think of them as like, like it's a known thing in the neighborhood. Um, And it feels to us like part of the responsibility of a place like that. And also part of the joy of a place like that is that you get to offer more to the community than just your food. So... We do. Um, we try to do sort of socially engaged benefits when we can. Like that, that film viewing was one that was sort of was really fun. Or we'll do a benefit dinner for, um, you know, to raise money for somebody. Um, we like. We've had the opportunity to help some friends get their own restaurants off the ground by having pop ups at the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, which feels like a nice way of paying back the good luck that I had at the beginning when I was in somebody else's restaurant. And then we do a series of. Um, Literary evenings that comes out of our our love of reading and writing and
0: Mm. is that the tables of contents? Tables of contents. I was curious. What what is that?
2: That was um uh, we started doing that years ago for a festival called the Food Book Fair. um, Who proposed talked to us about how we could get involved. I mean, when the Food Book Fair developed, I thought this is the best like combination of my interests I can dream up. Um, And Evan, our chef, is also a huge uh, reader and writer himself. Um, So we put together a dinner for the food book fair that was based on uh, uh, The Sun Also Rises and just tried to make dishes that were based either directly or conceptually on scenes from the book. And um, it was really fun. It was really challenging. And, you know, it was a moment we're like wow if we keep doing this we have an excuse to keep reading all the time for work (laughs) and and so we did a few more of those and then evan really took it and and put a lot of his own energy into turning it into a monthly reading series where writers with new books will come and read small passages from their from their new novel or memoir and he'll cook a small snack kind of based on that passage Mm. and it's been that's been amazing to watch develop
0: well still going
2: yeah yeah yeah. we just have one we had one last week okay really great
0: right so maybe i'll check out and be be there next time Yeah.
2: Tablesofcontents.org is it's like it's got its own sort of website now you can sign up for it
0: oh sure and uh link on your website too yeah
2: okay Uh, i'll make sure there is one okay
0: (laughs) 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 all right so and also um what's really special about egg you have a farming cat skills New York, which is providing over a hundred varieties of fruits and vegetables to egg restaurants in Brooklyn. So, um, why did you bother, uh, opening a farm on top of running a busy restaurant?
2: (laughs) Well, that was really what I wanted to do first, um, was have a farm. And that was where my real interest in the food, food business lay, um, because it would allow me to be outside and to be in the country. Um, so the restaurant, by accident came first. And um, it just felt like a natural thing to do. Like, you know, we wanted to be in the country. We wanted to be growing our own food. It wasn't possible to do as much of it as we wanted in the city. Um, And I didn't, honestly, I didn't realize how hard it would be. So it didn't seem like a a (laughs) huge, I mean, this is how I've done everything where I just dive in and then realize like, oh my God, what have I done to myself? Um, But then you you know you figure out how to make it work Mm -hmm. so we've had really great farmers work with us upstate to keep it keep it going and yeah it's been a huge part of our experience Mm. experience for us
0: so the farm's name is goldfell farm and uh it started in 2007 Mm. so it's a lot of work and uh (laughs) 12 years of hard work how big is that how many acres
2: it's the the entire property is only six acres, and we don't even farm a full acre of it mm. um, We tried grow we kept expanding it when we first opened and then we suddenly realized we were growing way more than we could use <laughs> so we've scaled back our ambitions for it mm. and it really now you know it provides us a lot of vegetables in the summer um, and some in the winter but as much as anything, it gives us a chance to sort of be part of food process from beginning to end and to help our employees think about that whole continuum of experience we take them up there in the summers and the falls so and you know there's nothing like a a server who is sunburned from picking vegetables that he or she is serving a customer that same day Mm. you know which we've had the fortune to do a few times um you know it just gives people a much more robust understanding of how difficult and complicated mm. the food system can be
0: mm. so that's really yeah. good to feel as a restaurant owner yeah right. and
2: it's really delicious i mean to be able to like say oh let's try to grow this variety and no let's eat it right now because i can just take it ho- i can take it back to the restaurant now
0: right. mm. so it's almost uh, blue hill stone barns you've been it doing like, it I, already
2: guess <laughs> <laughs> like, like if if blue hill without the rockefellers
0: <laughs> right i'm curious where uh, where do you get uh eggs from pour your um dishes. we
2: buy them through our dairy provider ronnie brook um so i think now they're coming they get them from feather ridge um which is a fairly large cage-free egg operation in mm. um i actually don't know if it's columbia or the county below columbia but up near ronnie brook which is where our milk comes from mm. which is in columbia county
0: i, I just started by uh you know those uh, farm-raised, we real, we real mm. really farm-raised yeah. eggs from farmers yeah. uh, from uh, you know meat, ho- meat hook, mm-hmm. the butcher, yeah, yeah, the yeah. roxler butcher in Williamsburg, yes. and once you start buying it, I've been buying organic eggs from a supermarket, but no, no way, no yeah. way to go back.
2: Yeah, they're they're really good when they're. A great, a good egg is an amazing thing to eat.
0: Mm. Right. So, um, so after fourteen years of business, um, egg became a legendary spot, in my opinion. I think everybody's opinion. So, why do you think egg is so popular?
2: I don't. Honestly, like it surprises me every day. Um, I think people. I think people were happy to have, you know, it, it, we were in the right place at the right time for sure. But I think it also it doesn't try to do anything too fancy. It just says like, it tries to be welcoming and, and open and good. And I think, you know, without putting on airs and without trying to impress anybody, it lets people feel comfortable. and And I think if people feel comfortable going to a place, they don't feel like they have to, you know, be on edge and the food is, is reliable and good. Um, I think that helps a lot. And that, mm-hmm. you know, we've it's been interesting to see how like food trends change it seems like we're always it, we're for, it's been a it's been a time when people's interest in food has mirrored the kinds of things that we're doing um mm. so it's just felt like we've been very we've been the lucky recipients of a lot of attention that um we've been grateful to have I right. think the food is good so. yeah
1: <laughs>
0: yeah um, and also I think you know there's the integrity and you know mm. authenticity very honest and consistent it never changes so I think it's almost like a lifestyle beyond yeah. just the restaurants I think it's
2: something you can rely on right
0: which is not easy to find yeah so thank you for doing that <laughs>
1: my
0: pleasure <laughs> alright listeners so we'll take a quick break here and when we come back we will discuss in Tokyo so please stay with us Koen's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view the exquisitely designed tableware and the wireless natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koen is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit coin.com Welcome back. You're listening to Japanese Broadcasting Live from studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Aki Kotema, and my guest today is George Veldt, who is the owner of the iconic Brooklyn restaurant, Egg, that has served literally local and sustainable food since 2005, and he now also has two egg restaurants in Tokyo. So um, now let's talk about Egg in Tokyo. Okay. Uh, so you opened Egg in uh, Ikebukuro area of Tokyo mm. uh, in April 2017. So, you know, uh, lately, uh, like two weeks ago, we had Ron Silver of mm. Bubbies. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. also have yeah. plays. Yes. And all those cool concepts goes to Japan lately, I think. So uh, how did it start?
2: Uh, egg s- adventure in Japan started in a pretty funny way with a... Um, a Japanese uh, businessman on a short layover trip to Williamsburg trying to find a present for his wife. And he decided to go get her a chocolate bar at the mass brothers and the mass brothers was closed because it was too early. So he stopped into egg since we're next door to them to have breakfast while he waited and fell in love. Mm. And, um, Thought I want to see this in Japan and was in a position to uh, make that happen. So
0: wow, thank he, you, Mass Brothers. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> wow. Okay, that's interesting. So, um, so uh, who is uh, the guy? What's his,
2: his name? Is uh, um, he he runs a he runs a company called Pronto, um, which has a lot of very sort of fast casual restaurants all over Japan. So he had a lot of experience in the restaurant business, um, and. Um, he had a friend in Brooklyn, so when he came to Egg and fell in love, he just called her up and said, go to Egg, find the owner and tell him to come to Japan and meet (laughs) me. And for some reason I was willing to, I was like,
0: okay. (laughs) <laughs> Why not? <Yeah. laughs> but have you had you been to Japan? At no, that point?
2: never. My brother had had a my brother had been he had had a Japanese roommate in boarding school when he was a kid, and he loved his roommate, and he went to Japan after graduation and loved it, and tried studying Japanese in college. So, you know, um, I had little. It had made inroads into my consciousness, but I'd never really thought of it as a place I would spend much time.
0: Mm. Right, so pronto is pretty, um, you know, visible. In Japan, it's mm. a joint venture between Santori and uh, UCC, which is another big coffee company. Yeah. So it's really, you know, good high-profile mm. <laughs> company. So, but it sounds like uh, they're hiding their name.
2: Well, they they are aware that they um, th- they didn't want anything to distract from from egg. Um, mm. So they they wanted to make sure that we were um, when we showed up. People's attention was on us and not on them. Mm-hmm. In a very gracious way to bring us, right, to, bring us really, to
0: the city. Right, yeah. it's gracious. Yeah, yeah it's instead of like me, we had yeah, this. Yeah. Right, that's very nice. Um, okay, so um, the what's the biggest challenge in opening? Egg? I mean, I'm sure it's not just one, but mm. <laughs> <laughs> opening egg in Tokyo.
2: Um, it's interesting. I mean, some of the challenge has been. Kind of settling down from our excitement, like enough just like focus on the real problems. Because <laughs> um, we get over there, and it's like, oh, this is all so great and so amazing. And it takes a while of saying like, okay, you know, like, um, for example, when we first started, the the it was our first experience in Japan, it was our first experience with the Japanese restaurant service, and we were all blown away by how how elegant it was and how quiet and simple and efficient it was and we thought wow it's amazing every time you walk into a store they welcome you you know people are you know they speak to you clearly they like you're you're never out of you're never in doubt about where you are in line Um, like it's so much more calm and, and polite and focused than it is in New York and all of our Japanese partners kept saying, we want Brooklyn-style service, we want Brooklyn-style <laughs> service, and we'd say, no, 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 please, we want Japanese-style service in Brooklyn. So learning how to bring those two things together in a way, like, it took a long time for us to, to realize, like, oh, there are things missing in Japanese restaurant service, or things that we could bring to it, you know, mm-hmm. a certain warmth and kind of casualness, and um, that mm. a lot of Japanese servers don't express at the table. Right. Sorry, so, for
0: example, I'm very curious though. That's the point I always come across because mm. the service is very attentive, but it's not, you know, there's some wall, yeah. thin wall between you and the, you know, someone yeah. else who's helping you. So how do you break that wall?
2: I'm not sure. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard even to sort of, w- w- our younger staff in Tokyo are a little bit, it's a little bit easier with them. You know, they, I think they maybe grew up a little bit more exposed to American-style service or American-style ideas and are are happy to be working in a place where it's a little bit more casual. But the sort of upper-level managers or the people who have been in service longer who come to the restaurant with more experience have a very hard time, yeah, it's Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, being themselves, I think, at the table. They want to be, you know, I'll come, and and they focus on things like, you know, the perfection of the table layout or um, the efficient, you know, where the glass goes when you put it on the table, and not so much this really like, you know, is this person having a good time? Do you get a? Do you feel any kind of connection with them?
0: Interesting. And I didn't... Yeah, that's interesting that the younger generation started to change too, maybe because of the traveling and internet. Mm, yeah. So that's good. Um, at the same time, I think American restaurants, even michelin star restaurants started to be more merging casual style mm. with uh, sophisticated service. So yeah. So maybe that's a global trend. Maybe,
2: yeah. Right. I still think there are things that are so unique about Japanese mm. service and Japanese culture that... Um, that I, you know, when I see like some of our staff in Tokyo who are young come in and I'm like, oh, you know, I want you to go. I mean, it's so crazy for me to be saying this because it's not my position to tell people what to, you know, incorporate into their culture, obviously. But, you know, my the things that it, the things that I have loved about Tokyo, sometimes I think like, oh, I hope it doesn't disappear. You know, I hope hope that you know, I would like to be more like. I would be, I would like to be more like them mm. <laughs> not have them be more like me.
0: Mm, interesting. I think uh that, this is my personal opinion but uh the shared value mm. not just you know like Christianity shared value mm. but detail in Japan if we go to school we share the same textbook mm. and same TV programs it's like dominant mm. and there's one thing and you know what I expected. Yeah. So people tend to be kind of Working too hard to be aligned with it, yeah, which is for well, the better or worse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what do you yeah. see? Like, uh,
2: it, I was just w- th- my last trip there. I was it was during the midterm elections, and I was I spent the day of the election like anxiously refreshing Twitter to see you know who had who had won various places. And one of my friends there said, "Why do you care so much about it?" It's like because it's our, you know, and and I we had this whole conversation about Americans like overly emotional involvement in politics, maybe. Versus, you know, her attitude was sort of like, no one's going to do anything. You know, everything's okay. You know, things Mm. are going along okay here. Much less sort of um, engaged and combative kind of relationship with power or authority than we have here.
1: Mm.
0: I think it's um, hard to imagine when the present changes, everything changes Mm, from top to, you know, who's shining in the That was amazing to hear. Mm. Um, So I think that's the different way of, how one personality can switch right. the whole culture That's true. so yeah I don't know which is better but <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> right now <it's, laughs>
2: I guess we're both in the grips of crazy people at the moment but
0: <laughs> right <laughs> right so okay so the so who uh, who's the chef at uh, Egg in Tokyo and uh, what was the challenge to find the white right chef
2: we got um, we have, I love our chef we have two now because we have the two restaurants but um, both named Takuya um, the original one, uh, Nishina, um, the, um the 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 pronto found for us. Um, I think he had been recommended by um, you know a friend of a friend, and he he shared a lot of our values. He wanted a, a kitchen where you know the front of house, like where the sort of levels of authority were broken down some so that people young people felt more comfortable talking to the to the chef and everybody learned how to do everything power wasn't withheld knowledge wasn't withheld um and they've been and then the our the chef for our second restaurant kind of grew up through the ranks of that of the first one Mm. um and they're both just wonderful you know sweet very disciplined very hard-working guys who are yeah they're I Feel very very lucky to have to get mm. to
0: work with them. Right. So you didn't have to change the menu because, for instance, you know the chef who is really good, talented, and you know disciplined, mm. but the palate of people, yeah. right? And I also heard that you had you had some trouble finding the white brioche. Yes, which is <laughs> very important. So, well, yeah. What is the, the issue with that? Uh,
2: I I don't know. Honestly, I mean I think um, we had all kinds of ingredient issues, you know, um, whether it was, we were the only place in, in the world, in Asia where you can get Anson Mills grits, getting those into the country was a huge ordeal and it took, required lots of patience from Anson Mills. Um, the brioche, you know, we, we took bread over there from Amy's where we get it here Mm -hmm. and try to get people to reproduce it. And I don't know what, if it just says something about Amy's or about, um, you know the difference in in butter, the difference in the way f- flour is formulated, but it's just it's. I think the bread we have there is really delicious. It's just a little. It's not a mirror image. It's not an exact replica. Mm.
0: Um, right. So, um, actually, you read an article like how it's analyzed. So, Japanese bread tend to be fluffy, mm-hmm. and uh, you enjoy it by itself. But for X dishes, you need to be combined like lasagna. You have, yeah. you know. Egg. Yeah. So, do you have to have texture issues and everything? Even
2: more with the sort of regular bread, like the whole wheat bread was a really, really hard to get right. We kept getting sample after sample after sample that was just fluff. You know, <laughs> Like it was slightly brown. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we wanted to have like seeds in it and stuff. Like, oh, you know, and it, it, it took a long time to get us to a place where now we have bread that I really love. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of kind of pushing back and saying, no, harder, denser, chewier. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Well, that's a educational process for yeah. the palate of mm-hmm. diners too. So, I think that's a valuable thing. That's the whole point of bringing egg directly from Brooklyn. Yeah. Right. So, um, so where do you source uh, other ingredients though? Because you don't have your own farm. Right. Right. Yet. <laughs>
2: no, not yet. I would love to. We've seen. We've. I, I've been. I mean one of the things that's been so great about being over there is they've been very good about taking us around to sea farms. and we get our eggs from a egg farmer in Hiroshima who is like the most amazing, just a beautiful story, like just like you would see here of um, a young guy whose parents had been in the farm, like generations before him had been in the farming, had been running this farm down near Hiroshima. And he had gone off to work as a, in sales at a, at a company and was, wasn't enjoying it and was finding it really disorienting. And his parents were at the point where they're about to retire and didn't know how to keep the farm going. And so he came home and turned this farm that had been, they had been raising chickens for eggs already, but he said, Let's gonna, we're going to make the, the best eggs in the country. Um, they grow their own rice for the chickens. They, I mean, it's really like, I, I went into this chicken barn and if you've ever been in a chicken barn of any size, you know, it's one of the more challenging smells you'll ever encounter. This chicken barn smelled like you wanted made you want to eat. It was beautiful smelling, you know, warm place with like all these happy chickens. I mean, it was mm. like I'm, if I was like it's the most moving chicken experience like chicken barn I'll, you'll ever see. Um
0: and right, we, because it smells because it is no undesired bacteria from unclean conditions. it's just so
2: clean and there's so much fresh air and the and the food the chickens eat is like it's they you know it's it's this beautiful mash of um fermented rice hull and okari i think it's the name of it yeah. like a byproduct Okara. of the tofu mm-hmm. process um and so it, it just it smells like you're in somebody's kitchen instead of in a Barnyard.
1: Mm,
0: wow. I, I'm, I'm really tempted nice to visit time. there. Maybe <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll ask you next time <laughs> I He's go to Japan. Hi. So um, I heard you've been to Japan at this point uh, five times. Hmm. And uh, oh, before, so you told me a story about um, a Japanese woman about how oh, kids yeah. are educated. Uh, but you're very young age, so maybe you can share that story. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I would like to have this verified, actually. Maybe you can tell me this, this is the truth. But I met a woman, I was talking to a woman in a bar over there about how amazed I was at how meticulous our employees' craft, uh, hand skills were, essentially. Like, we could teach them, we could show them how to make an omelet, and they would immediately be able to make it exactly right. Um, when they move around the kitchen, things just get put in the right place, like quickly and easily and there's no kind of everything just se- they just seem to move so effortlessly and I, as I think I also mentioned to you it feels very strange to be a big American there because I not just because I'm much bigger than anyone else in the kitchen but because there's such a clear difference in the way that we regard our bodies and how we move through space and this woman in this that I met said well you know when we're kids before we take math classes and before we learn to read and write we go through these sort of Routines, these sort of exercises in class where we're just like, and they're all base, basically sort of training us to do sort of fine motor skills or like move our bodies in certain ways. So I think she, I had also seen a, um, the restaurant in Ikibakura was next to a, a fire station and I was walking back to the restaurant one afternoon and I saw all the firemen in the, in the driveway doing these exercises and I described them to somebody in the kitchen. They're like, oh yeah, we all do those. We grow up doing those from when we we're little tiny kids. It was like mm-hmm. a series of, sort of stretches and movements and stuff like that. It was like, ah, oh, this sort of training of your body and everybody learning how, you know, to do these things in a very specific and structured way, that's the difference, it mm. seemed to me. Like, you know, because we, we learn to play and we learn to, like, tumble around. and But we don't, as a rule, learn those kinds of, like, you know, disciplined ways of, like, making our hands do what our brain wants them to do unless mm. we choose to do it, you know, for some particular reason. And there it seemed like wow, everybody can just make things happen.
0: Mm, interesting. So I never thought of that. Yeah. But that is true. Like, you know, like here and there, they're embedded in data activities. Mm. And uh, one thing that came to my mind, you know, if you go to department stores, yeah. the wrapping yes, exactly. boxes yes. in two seconds. Yes. And it's astonishing. Yes. And the first time I saw that when I was little, my brother and I like, let's try that. When we went home, and I just kept trying and practicing how to wrap a box. i yeah, was yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good at it even now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like a manual. I don't know, like origami mm-hmm. things. I think culturally, um, Japanese people tend to have strong emphasis on it.
1: Yeah, like it's really cool. I, would.
0: I, never, I never thought of that. <laughs> that's yeah. interesting. Um, so do you have any other cultural shock? Um, like, you know probably you just said that being in Tokyo makes you aware that you're very American.
2: Well, I mean, there's, there's just a simple amount, you know, if you're a, if you're a, you know, a white guy in the United States, you can pass, you just like waltz through the world, like nothing, you know, it's very easy to forget that you have almost that you exist as a distinct person. You know, you just feel like, um, when I'm in Japan, like I'll catch a glimpse of myself in the, in reflection and like, oh my God, I look so different from everyone around me. (laughs) I feel, I feel so blended in. And then I was like, oh, I don't blend in here at all. And I I move awkwardly compared to everybody. And, you know, I, and I, I just, I become hyper aware of all the little give giveaways that I have about being American and forgetting the fact that I just am like scream foreignness, (laughs) you know, Mm. just by, you know, no matter how I dress, no matter how I move, no matter if I'm like, you know, Pretending to read Japanese in my on my phone, you know, like I, 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 I'm so clearly other um, there, and that's a that's a very interesting and um, I think useful experience for somebody like me to have.
1: Mm.
0: So you're kind of programming yourself in mm. your brain as new you, you, yeah. And uh, I think you're p- acting as a mirror, so it's mm. a mutual educational experience. Yes. Yeah, ha- for having you, other people. At Egg in Tokyo, or anywhere, I think they're learning something from Mm. the cool stuff from Uh, (laughs) you (laughs) too.
2: May not be the best model for it,
0: but... (laughs) (laughs) I guess you are. Um, So now you have a second location. The second location is in Setagaya, Mm. uh, which is another central Tokyo, at uh, the Food and Agriculture Museum of Tokyo-nodai. And Tokyo-nodai is like, uh, you know, U.S. Davis of Japan, right? So it's the same owner, Mm -hmm. right? That's a cool. It's great. Fun. It's a,
2: such a cool um, location for us. I mean, the building is really beautiful. It was designed by Kengo Kuma, who's mm. an amazing, beautiful architect. Wow. Um, so we, it's got we have like 20 foot tall glass windows, you know, that overlook a little park. It's right by the um, what will be the equestrian center for the Olympics coming up. But it's also cool because we're in a university setting. Surrounded by people who care about food and growing food and agriculture, so people are, understand what we're doing right away, which is not something that we have found to be the case in other parts of Tokyo. Mm. Um, that um, you know, at Nodai, people are constantly thinking about the connections between farms and what they eat, and um, so we've met. We like the first weekend we opened, I met a rice farmer who had helped establish the organic standard for Japan and. Taught organic farming to young rice farmers all over the country, and um, went up and saw his his farm. Um, I mean, just it, it just feels like very much like a place, for a home for us. Right, uh, it's yeah. not
0: even too perfect a and location. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe you can make connection, and you really gonna start a farm on your own in the future. Right. So, um, so what do you think about? You know, bringing the American restaurant concept to Japan. In in what sense, like? Um, it can be anything. You know, um, I know it's challenging. Sounds like you're learning a lot, but you know, it's it's beyond restaurant opening, mm-hmm. right? So. It's.
2: I mean. It it's been it's been especially interesting for our particular idea because, you know, for us. The. Like, just to take one part of our mission, or one part of our the idea behind egg, which was to sort of show Southern food in a in a light that gave it credit for being a legitimate um, cultural um, and culinary history tradition. Nobody thought about those things in Japan. Like, it, it's irrelevant. Like, that whole kind of, like, there was no bastardization of Southern food in Tokyo because it... There just wasn't very much southern food to begin with, so there wasn't. We weren't. We didn't have a cartoon version basically to fight back against. What we did have instead was, you know, trying to explain to people. You know, I mean, one of the funny things that happened a lot was people kept saying, "Okay, so this is a South American restaurant." I was like, no, 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 it's Southern <laughs> American food. Um, and then trying to explain to people, you know, that even within the South, there are all these different regional traditions. And so, no, jambalaya is not. That's that's from. Louisiana. Our food is from the low country. Those are very dis- different things. And it's, it's interesting because Japan also has that you know, like very local culinary traditions um, from Hokkaido to Okinawa, but trying to ex- get people excited about the specific culinary differences in American cuisine was, was a, a trick. And you know, on the one hand, you want it to be popular and successful and you want people to come and, and eat there at all. Um, on the other hand, you want to try to stay true to the, the thing that makes it work where you're from. So trying to find a way to sort of, say, make the food accessible and tell a story about it that appeals to people who don't understand the kind of cultural backstory that we're telling, that we're talking against here, um, um, while also, you know finding a way to keep all those like balls in the air and keep it open and accessible and, and, and feeling authentic to us has been an interesting challenge, for mm,
0: sure. Right. Well, weirdly, you know, American... Uh, to Japanese people, America is really, really such a great, wonderful place. Mm. But American cuisine is not known. And mm. I think one of the reasons, New American, it's so hard to understand. There's no... Image right. like you can visualize right. and what they can think of American steak and burger and sure. pizza, which is kind of totally outdated. Yeah. And I think you are creating kind of a good foundation to yeah. dig into, you know, something a little deeper. I, and also, I think nowadays, especially the, this time of, um, you know, the times of all those internet, mm. you need a story about any product. Yeah. Right, it's like uh, even entrepreneurship to, you know, like glass of craft beer or something. Like you need a story behind it. So yeah. if you're not authentic, like your place, it's gonna be gone yeah. quickly. Yeah. So.
2: Just figuring out how to how to relay that authenticity. One of the things that was really interesting when we first moved over is I, I said I asked some. You know, you find a lot of American. Restaurants in in Tokyo, and I was kind of taken aback by it. And I was like, why are Japanese business? Why are Japanese you know organizations bringing these brands over?" Um, and somebody I said, "Because it, because it's the you want some kind of guarantee of authenticity. In the same way, you don't want to go to a like if you go to a Japanese restaurant in New York, you want it to be the like a place where Japanese people go to eat when they're in New York. You want to know that the people who are making that food are making it the way that." You know people eat in japan the same idea in tokyo like people want an american restaurant that is authentically american mm. trying to f- but then they also want things you know like pancakes has been a funny thing because our pancakes are thin and mm. dense um and uh in tokyo the fat is for like f- super fluffy pancakes <laughs> covered with whipped cream and like all these crazy sauces and trying to get people to say like but if you want an authentic american pancake this is it and mm. Here's why you should
0: love it. Right. That's, that's very important. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, that's very exciting. And I hope you can keep teaching people about the real American food.
2: Well,
0: it's just not known enough. So. It's
2: been a great exchange for sure.
0: Right. So, okay. So where can we find more information about egg?
2: We have our, our website, eggrestaurant.com. Um, we have a cookbook called Breakfast, Recipes to Wake Up For that's full of um, recipes from the restaurant. Um, the you can get to the Japanese um, web- website through ours, um, and of course on Instagram and Twitter.
0: Mm, great. So that's eggrestaurant.com. Yes. Great. All right. So uh, good luck, and thank you for joining us. Thank through. you so much. Thank you. All right. So listeners, um, if you have any questions or comments about the show, or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese.heritageradio.network.org at or kikokatei.com. Japan needs is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritagevideo.network.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So uh, our engineer today is a great intern, Kevin, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.